0: Hi, I'm Dr. Mila Brugic, and I'm joined by Dr. Mark Eltis, where we're going to be talking about suspicious suspects on today's OI show. Dr. Eltis, thank you for joining us here today. So, Mark, for those of you, for those in the audience that maybe don't know as much about you as I do, share a little bit with the audience about yourself, your practice background, where you're practicing currently.
1: Sure. So I've been practicing for almost 20 years, which sounds a bit scary to me too. And um, I've been in academia for over a decade, I think 13 years now. And uh, I've had the opportunity to practice in uh, the US, in uh, New York, in California. And then I'm now in Toronto. I've been in Toronto for most of my career now. And uh, the thing that's, I guess, stayed similar uh, is I've tried to uh, work in higher end offices. And um, the reason why is because I get to do what I like and offer patients uh, the best technology available and services.
0: Well, that's Mark, you lead perfectly right into the discussion because, you know, one of those areas where I, I personally feel that optometry kind of owns this space is the glaucoma patient in particular with the suspect, because oftentimes these individuals are so difficult to kind of put into a clear category of yes glaucoma versus no glaucoma and oftentimes we're watching these individuals to make sure that they don't progress and if they do or even if their risk factors are such that they're high enough that we feel that the advantages of treatment outweigh the disadvantages of watching them we'll start treatment with them but mark share with us in particular with visual fields kind of some of the nuances in terms of new software developments that we have available that are helping you care for these individuals?
1: Yeah, so one of the uh, innovations I'm excited about is the 24-2C, which is uh, the way I explain it is the 24 had a kid with a 10-2, and now you're getting the best of the 24. You're getting a full 24 field, plus you're getting the the points of a 10-2 that are most likely to be affected by glaucoma. So it's not a complete replacement for the 10-2, but it's a warning sign, and it makes it easy to offer one field instead of doing two at one visit or across a couple of visits, which we all know is hard for the patients.
0: Yeah. Well, Mark, I'm glad you brought that up, because one of the tough things with the 24-2 is, the the spots are spaced so far away in the standard 24-2 that one subtle little square that seems like it's just a little reduced area of sensitivity, when you run that on the 10-2, sometimes we see these early arcuate defects. Um, how much are you finding that this new software algorithm is helping you out with some of these patients, in particular initially when you're running the 24-2? I think you call it 24-2C, correct?
1: Yeah, and that's on the Zeiss machine. I think there's other other iterations of it. Uh, On other machines. And, you know, of course, each uh, company is trying out its own thing. But um, I think it's very helpful. I think it's definitely cut down on my concern, uh, where a lot of patients, basically, you can let them go instead of bring them back for a 10-2, which now, you know, for the last few years, obviously, because of uh, research from Columbia University, you definitely want to have that 10-2 and compared to a ganglion cell, uh, you know, analysis. So, it's basically I would say that it's decreased the time that patients have to spend the office and the expense of doing two visual fields and repeating two visual fields, you know, what at each interval. Now on some patients, if the 10 the 24-2C is fishy, then obviously we're going to go for a full 10-2.
0: So Mark, is that now standard protocol? You see a patient, their glaucoma suspect, is that the test or the visual field strategy
1: that you're ordering first line or baseline for that patient? Uh, that's the one I'm definitely ordering first line. Now, whether in the field it's considered the standard of care, I, I wouldn't go that far. I think you can do a lot of things, as as you know. I mean, in theory, you don't even need an OCT, a, a photo, which is a 3D photo, Uh, You know, which is compared properly from an expert is just as good. The truth is, I'm not that good to look at a photo and, you know, (laughs) tell a, a loss like we would on an OCT. So I actually like using the OCT. I have an HRT as well, because I think that technology was wonderful. Of course, you know, for, for those of us uh, in the dinosaur era, which which I am as well, you know, it's like uh, VHS and beta and all those kind of things, Blu-ray versus whatever it was, you know, something has to win out and OCT won. But, you know, GDX wasn't bad, HRT wasn't bad. And still having that machine with all its faults and, you know, perhaps not the latest software is still an advantage.
0: Yeah. So, Mark, it's interesting, you know, all the stuff that you're bringing up, all the technology that we're utilizing has just advanced so much. I mean, I even take a look at fundus photography, the way that we used to do it and compare pictures. And now we actually have, it's called a flicker function where literally the, the pictures from one time point to another will lay themselves over one, one, one another. And right. you'll be able to see subtle differences that are just almost impossible to notice from this flicker, flicker functionality. So it's, it's very close to really becoming a form of artificial intelligence where, it's going to aid us in taking all this data and all this information and processing it faster in a more effective way. And actually looking at changes over time in a more scientifically uh, rooted way, as opposed to, like you said, it's subjective whenever you're looking at that optic nerve head. Now, Mark, you you also have some pretty unique technology in terms of OCT in your practice as well, To Tell us a little bit more about that and help us understand a little bit more about that technology.
1: Sure. So uh, in uh, the main office I work at, we have the Triton Swept Source OCT. So it's the third generation of OCT. Uh, we have a TopCon machine. Um, so basically, it's faster. It takes the image faster so the patient doesn't have to you know, keep their head in the machine. And we all know how. Patients don't don't want to stay in there for too long, and the resolution is much higher. Now that plays a bigger role, I would say, in in macular disease or or, or looking at the retina in greater detail. You can see a uh, vitreous. Uh, in terms of glaucoma, you know it, it has certain advantages um, in terms of a hood report, and uh, you know Don Hood from Columbia and his uh, obviously great insights into um, glaucoma. But um, I, I also like the Zeiss for its. Printouts and we have a Zeiss machine, the latest one at the other office I work at. And I like the, I would say the uh, software I really enjoy on the Zeiss machine for glaucoma specifically, uh, because it's got uh, that really friendly layout, which we remember, which many of us remember early on in the OCT days. But uh, from a from a functionality standpoint, yeah, they both do the job. I think you have to get very comfortable with the machine you have and understand what its advantages and disadvantages are. Now, the, the OCT, uh, the Triton swept source, it's it's true that in terms of its resolution, it, it really is unmatched. I think Zeiss has another machine which is swept source, but it's still in research settings, the Plex. Uh, I would love to have one, but uh, I think at this point it's not for sale. And I think their argument is that their current uh, top of the line machines are approaching that resolution and speed.
0: So Mark, um, does the swept source, does it have functionality like ganglion cell complex measurements, nerve fiber layer thickness measurements, and is it measuring angiography as well too, similar to the OCTAs that we're seeing?
1: Yeah. So that one has, we have OCTA. I think you can buy it without, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, I'm not paid by either company, but, um, at least not yet, maybe after this show, if I plug them in. But um, yeah, it had, you can buy the OCTA. You know, both machines are great. I, I think it really comes down to what you want. and And the truth is, I think in resolution for macular disease, Obviously, the swept source, as it's a third generation, we had time domain, spectral domain, and then swept source. And funny enough, I remember reading uh, this paper I wrote on glaucoma over a decade ago, and I was talking about the future and how swept source was going to do this and that. And it's weird to actually have it. You know, It's it's bizarre to see it having come to a reality, and, and it's here. I think the price is somewhat prohibitive for, for a lot of practices, uh, because it is a, a lot more. Uh, the one we have has a Uh, fundus camera in it too but you have to really think to yourself what you need because frankly you know uh, at another office before we got that new zeiss we were using a a, a, over a decade old zeiss and it was still great it had the rnfl it had the ganglion cell that's you know and it had the anterior segment which i think is also maybe if we're talking glaucoma on the swept source machine the anterior segment part is advantageous because you can see greater details in the angle and so that might be an advantage. But in terms of the RNFL and ganglion cell, it's harder to tell. Maybe you can tell segmentation errors, you know, because you got a more detailed view. And I guess that's when you tell when when the machine is out to lunch. But I would say my what I tell my students and, and what I you know, just said before uh, I finished up with them they wrote their exam today, so you know I hope they did well. Um, is that machines don't replace a doctor's thinking? And I think you touched on it how how we can we compete with everything that's out there from online eye exams to all the chains, private equity, the experience. You can't replace that experience with a doctor and a patient. And yes, some people don't care, but why would you want those customers? So uh, the Dunkin' Donuts isn't trying to be Starbucks. You know, or, or or certainly, the Starbucks isn't trying to be a Dunkin' Donuts right. because it will fail, and that's the thing. You're not trying to create a one dollar Starbucks coffee. You're trying to explain to pay, to customers why they want that Starbucks experience and why it's you know worth that seven dollars. So, Mark,
0: I have a few questions about the OCT technology. Um, you know, sometimes there's there's more and more discussion and weight being placed on the ganglion cell complex and the importance just because again where 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 it synapses around the macula and where we start to see some early functional loss in addition to some structural damage even before we sometimes we'll see it at the nerve fiber layer Um, but oftentimes it can be confusing with uh, co-founding macular disease are you What's the process in your office? Are you scanning the macula before you start doing the ganglion cell complex? Are you scanning? Are you not scanning it? How, how does that play a role in and uh, how you're interpreting that
1: data? You know, it's an excellent point. The the so it depends on the system you have. In ours, when we do the the ganglion cell, it automatically scans the macula and I have a picture too. So it depends, you know, it depends on your uh, where you're practicing, how your insurance is, how you want to bill patients. But, yeah, I think that is an argument for a macular scan in any glaucoma suspect because you're going to get interference even on your, you know, uh, on your ganglion cell and on other things. Because if they have macular disease, it could be an issue for your 10-2. It can be an issue uh, for the test that you're running. So absolutely, I think you'd want to rule that out. In fact, you saying that, I'm thinking, hmm, you know, I, I got to make sure that every patient has a macular scan now uh, for glaucoma suspects. The truth is that, like we were talking about earlier, glaucoma suspects. I tell them 95% of your, or when I tell the patient directly, I say, you've got a 95% chance, you're probably not going to have glaucoma. But in that 5% chance, you know, you could have serious vision loss. So this is why we're doing it. And I hope I'm wasting your time and money. But you can understand why we're doing this. And most of them respond to that. And that's the kind of patients I want to see. Because otherwise, you know, why are they coming, you know, to my office, they could have a, a, an exam for a fraction of the price, you know, a few blocks away, which you know takes five minutes and doesn't really look at any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, well, Mark, it is interesting because again, um the level of responsibility that now we carry professionally is continuing to increase with all of these technologies. And I still think that this glaucoma suspect category is so critically important because of the reason that you said that yeah, okay, so we may be dealing with five to ten percent of those suspects, but the damage once it happens is permanent. Right. So it's not something that's a at least to the best of our knowledge on a wide on a wide stream basis it's not a reversible condition so once that ganglion cell is sick and dies it really is not something that we can regain functionality so i think you've proven that uh, that you're taking this seriously for those patients and again like you said you're just spending more time on it because you're trying to avoid that individual losing any of that functional vision and i love that philosophy
1: Absolutely. And I, and I even liken it to the stock market. You know, you want to have a long-term track record of what's happening. Because when people say glaucoma diagnosis is easy, either, you know, they're catching it way too late, or I'm not sure what they're, what you know kind of protocol they're using. Because glaucoma diagnosis should be hard. You should catch it super early where you're not even sure. And by tracking it, you can make a very informed decision on whether to treat a patient. Now, what's interesting is, that I have that conversation with patients where I discuss treatment in some cases, even where I think they probably do have glaucoma. It's a, a joint decision where we discuss whether to initiate treatment because treatment has risks. It's not a cure all. It's not like I give them one pill and it's all going to go away. So it's a lifetime commitment. And my other passion, of course, is dry eye and glaucoma. You know, I, I say this, that glaucoma, we think of glaucoma as a blinding condition. We don't think of dry eye as a blinding condition, but if you think about it, why are many glaucoma patients going blind? It's not because we don't have treatments. It's because they are getting irritated from the treatment of a disease they don't feel. And it's, it's a dry ocular surface issue, which is effectively blinding them because they're, uh, you know, bailing out of the treatment because of the side effects, which ultimately is letting the glaucoma run rampant. So everything has to be About educating the patient, about talking about it together, the risks, the benefits, and what to do. And generally speaking, although of course there are cases which are different, glaucoma is a very slow moving disease. So the more data points we have, the more control we have, and the better informed decision even a specialist can make if you don't even want to make that call. Having that data and offering it to an optometrist who focuses on glaucoma or or an ophthalmologist is giving your patient a gift. And that's the importance of, of uh, continual testing and early testing.
0: We just had uh, a good friend of mine who's a physician in town um, to measure him just in one, one point in time, you would say he was a normal individual, but because we had that history of the OCTs and nerve fiber layer and the GCC, we've seen clear reduction, even though again, he's still measuring well within the normal range. We've seen reduction over time and it's a predictable change that's occurring. So I couldn't agree with you more, Mark, on this. This has been... Awesome. We're actually, Mark, going to have you back. The next episode, we're going to focus more on the ocular surface as well. But but this was awesome. Really appreciate you being on the show, Mark. I appreciate it as well. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Optometric Insights Show.